Hey, everybody. Ahlan Bikum fi the Egypt Travel Podcast again. Welcome back to the Egypt Travel Podcast. This is going to be a short episode, but I've been getting a lot of proposal requests in here at my company, Egypt Elite, that prompted me to start thinking about uh, maybe doing an episode to advise on this topic. And the topic is how to realistically structure an itinerary or at least start thinking about your itinerary, your schedule, your trip around Egypt. You know, in a lot of ways, Egypt is still kind of like the Wild West when it comes to travel and itineraries and logistical planning within the country. Things are definitely getting better every year, but many people don't realize that even if you've traveled extensively all over the world, Egypt is in another category all on its own or almost all on its own. Clients we've had at Egypt Elite who have traveled extensively say that the only other places that compare to Egypt in terms of congestion and chaos and things like that are New Delhi, India and Beijing, China. Now, I've never been to either one of those, but that's what clients consistently tell me and have told me over the years. And since Cairo continuously sits in the top five largest cities in the entire world, sometimes even making the top spot depending on the year and fluid demographic changes, this shouldn't be surprising. Some super experienced and well-seasoned travelers who don't mind dealing with their own inevitable developing world logistical hiccups can manage to navigate Egypt on their own if they want to. But for anyone who wants a smooth experience where the hiccups are handled before you're even aware there was a hiccup, or for those who just don't want to deal with the hassle of travel logistics in a chaotic place like this, that's where experienced on-the-ground tour operators like us come in. But even if we, as in Egypt Elite, or any other company for that matter, are handling your trip around Egypt for you, I still think it's important to have a realistic grasp on the options for how best to structure visits to and trips around Egypt. Just this past week, and this is one of the things that got me thinking about doing an episode on this, we got a submission on our website's Trip Builder program, where the gentleman said he only had five days to spend in country. But then he went on to list about two full weeks worth of itinerary elements. Now, while that's an extreme case, but still not uncommon, the most typical mistake people make when envisioning a draft itinerary in Egypt is that they fail to understand some basics about the country's geography, the sites and monuments, and the effects of the different environments and terrains on your energy level and on your body. So let's start there with that last point. For those coming from North America or Australia or basically anywhere that requires an overnight flight, Egypt is a long-haul destination. So the first thing you have to think about is jet lag when you arrive. Now that can easily be overcome sometimes with just the sheer adrenaline. And in fact, most people just get a good night's rest that first night and wake up the next day in Egypt ready to run out the door and explore the pyramids first thing in the morning. That's understandable given how excited you surely are to see Egypt's bucket list sites. But if you're the type of traveler who isn't used to long-haul travel, or if you don't sleep well on planes, or you get drained by long flights and need extra time to rest, it's not a bad idea to schedule your first full day in Egypt as a free day for you just to settle in and relax and get acclimated. Most people don't actually need an acclimation day, but if you arrive super late at night on your arrival day, for example, or even overnight, it might be a good idea to consider scheduling in a free day for yourself right off the bat. Now, since seeing the pyramids is always at the very top of everyone's to-do list in Egypt, that's almost always what they want to plan for their first touring day in the country. I'd say about 98% of visitors start their itineraries off with the most famous Giza pyramids and Sphinx on their first full day in Egypt. 
with most of those also going south of Giza that same afternoon to see the older pyramids at Saqqara and Dashur, all in that first same day. They're co-located, so that's easy to do. But the important thing to point out here that's relevant to these sites is the distances to and between sites in and around Cairo and Giza, and throughout Egypt for that matter. If you're staying in a downtown hotel, for example, it can take between 45 minutes and an hour to get out to the Giza Plateau, depending on the side of the Nile you're staying on and the traffic you find yourself in that day. There are new roads opening across Giza that will cut down on this travel time, but the point here is that unlike other places where the major sites are co-located within a city, the pyramids and sphinx are far out on the western edge of greater Cairo's suburban sprawl at the edge of where the Sahara Desert starts. So don't think you're just going to roll out of bed, jump in the van, and be there to the site in 15 minutes. It takes time to get there and back. It's also about a half an hour more to get down to Saqqara and another half an hour more to get down to Dashur. And that's from the Giza pyramids, which, like I said, 45 minutes to an hour from downtown Cairo, which, of course, it makes your journey back downtown. If you're starting from if you're ending at Dashur and you're going back downtown at the end of the day, that's going to take about an hour to an hour and a half to get back downtown. Also, keep in mind that most of the sites in Egypt close at 5 p.m., depending on the season, which means they start to usher people out of the site compounds about 4 or 4.30 p.m., depending on the site. So what all of this means is that you cannot do all of the pyramids way out on the edge of the Sahara Desert and then expect to be able to be back downtown in time to make it inside of any of the other museums or sites or anything like that on the same day. A moderately paced touring day will go from about 9 a.m. until about 4 or 5 p.m. with an hour, hour and a half break or so for a nice leisurely lunch somewhere in the middle of the day, in the middle of that. This is also, by the way, a standard working day for guides and drivers. So if you want to keep your car or your driver or your guide for more than about eight hours in a day, expect to pay a little bit more for their overtime. I wouldn't advise this, though, because it not only wears them out, but it will wear you out as well if you pack too much in a day and go too late into the evening or start too early and, God forbid, go late into the evening. We love to design what we call moderately paced itineraries for the benefit of you as well as our own staff, which are like family to us. And me included. I don't like to be out there for 15 hours a day touring around places. Although we certainly don't mind the occasional long day when it's required. Now an example of this is the day that you go visit Old Cairo and the Kano Khalili Market. Because the Kano Khalili is best visited in the evening after the sun goes down. The lights start to come on there. The locals start to come out. The market is is buzzing. That's when it really, really comes alive. If you try to go to the con during the middle of the day, the middle of the afternoon... It's going to be dead, and you don't get the full, authentic experience. So we like to tack that on to the end of one of your days in Cairo, which will, of course, make that day a long day because it's an evening activity. But we plan for that and factor that in. So it's certainly okay with our staff because we want you to see the con at its best and not just take you there early in the afternoon when it's dead to check it off, which is what many other companies will do so they can wrap up and be home after about five or so. But we want to stay with you, especially on that day, so that you can see the con at night. It's worth it for that day. Distance between sites and major areas is also an issue in Luxor. Luxor's sites are divided into the Eastern Bank sites and the Western Bank sites. Of course, with the Nile River being the dividing line in the middle. But while the Eastern Bank sites are fairly close to one another and are pretty much in the middle of the town of Luxor, 
the Western Bank sites are fairly far away. And they can take about 45 minutes to an hour to get to by car from Luxor. Because the thing is, you have to drive south of Luxor, about 20, 30 minutes south of Luxor, to get to the main bridge that crosses the Nile. And then you have to drive all the way back up to the point across the river where you were. And then you have to keep going past that. You're going northwest on the other side of the river to get to where the tombs and temples were built. But here's the thing about Luxor's sites. Some of the Eastern Bank sites are open late, and they're among the very few in Egypt with evening hours. Both Luxor Temple, which is smack dab in the middle of the town, and Luxor Museum, which is very close by and walkable, are open into the evening. So it's possible, it's not advisable, but it's possible to do all major Luxor sites in one day for those who have a time crunch. But we always advise those who can afford it, time-wise, I mean, to split Luxor touring into two days and do the Western Bank sites together on one day, which will take up the majority of a full touring day, and then do the Eastern Bank sites leisurely on another day. Now, even though Luxor Temple and Luxor Museum on the Eastern Bank are open later, Karnak Temple, which is also on the Eastern Bank and is a must-see site, even more than Luxor Temple, Karnak Temple is not open late. It closes at 5 p.m. just like the other major sites across Egypt, with entrance not permitted after 4 p.m., by the way. So you have to make it there by then, regardless of whether you're packing things in or not. However, if you're splitting Luxor into two days, you have no problem at all going at a moderate pace on both sides of the river, not feeling rushed, not having to make the driver drive like a bat out of hell to get you there across the river in time so that you're not missing anything important. And you still have plenty of time to stop for lunch, rest during the middle of the touring day, um, you know, and just take it easy, which can be very, very important. Touring around Egypt isn't like touring around London or Paris or New York or almost anywhere else. When you visit the pyramids, you're walking over sand, uneven stones, blocks, things like that. And it's the same at the Valley of the Kings. Most of the year in Egypt, it's also hot, by the way. Shocker with the summer months nearly unbearable for some, including me. And it's also very dry heat, which means that your body is losing water very fast without you even realizing it. It's evaporating without you realizing that you're losing water. And the faster dehydration, even when you're drinking lots of water, combined with the exhaustion from the heat and the walking all over stones and stairs and blocks and sands at these sites can really, really wear you out. So you may think that you can realistically hit up five or six sites in one day, but even experienced or fit travelers often find themselves in need of a major rest after about five or six hours of touring around Egypt's sites. So all of this is to say that you should trust our recommendations if you've told us where you want to go and what you want to see, and we've structured, spaced, and placed it out in a certain way for you to help you both tolerate and maximize the experience. And now this next part should go without saying to those who've looked at a map of Egypt, but some people still may not realize that the pyramids and the Sphinx are located outside of Cairo in the north of Egypt. And the tombs and temples of the pharaohs are located in the far south of Egypt, which means you have to take about an hour flight, uh, which is, you know, roughly a half day of traveling time when you factor in going to the airport and waiting for the flight and taking the flight and getting picked up and all that in order to see both of these must-see areas of Egypt, especially on a first trip. Everybody wants to see the pyramids and sphinx. Everybody wants to see the tombs and temples. Those are not in the same area. They are 
I don't know how to convert kilometers to miles in my head. They're about 700 kilometers apart. What's that, about 500 miles maybe? It's a long way. Uh, you can't just do a day trip to Luxor. You can't just do it all by staying in Cairo. You have to take an hour flight to get to Luxor. An hour and 15 minute flight to get to Aswan. Aswan, by the way, is about three hours south of Luxor. So we usually just drive between those two places. And other places, by the way, such as the Red Sea and Alexandria and Abu Simbel, are also long drives away and not just a quick thing to do. Let's take the Red Sea first. The Red Sea is about a three-hour drive from Luxor, but that's usually just a one-way journey because people go to the Red Sea and they stay there for a few days. They don't usually go to the Red Sea as a day trip. They stay there and then they fly back to Cairo from there. So that three-hour drive from Luxor across the eastern desert is um, it's just a one-way journey. Alexandria is also about a three-hour journey from Cairo by road, but most people still do Alexandria as a day trip. The good thing about most of Alexandria's sites, though, which are from the Greco-Roman period that we call the Ptolemaic era, they are co-located in the center of the city together. So the driving distance between most of Alexandria's sites is fairly short, but the traffic in the city center, which is the second largest city in Egypt, the traffic can be quite chaotic, especially on Friday and Saturday. So it still takes a full day there to see the major sites in the city center of Alexandria, plus the three-hour journey back to Cairo that evening if you're doing it as a day trip. Like I said, most people do do Alexandria as a day trip, but you can definitely stay over there and take it slower and see even more sites if you have the time. I think Alexandria is a very unique city and a very different city from anywhere else in Egypt. So I personally like spending a day or few there when I have the time to do it when I'm in the country. But if you only have time for a day trip, don't worry. You can see all of the major sites in Alexandria that same day, not have to change hotels because you'll be back in Cairo by dinner, and you just have to deal with the three-hour road trip up and back to make it happen. Now, like Alexandria, Abu Simbel is also a three-hour journey by road, but from Aswan. In fact, that's why most people like to go to Aswan to begin with. Don't get me wrong, Aswan is cute and all, but most people go there to see Abu Simbel. They don't go there just to see the little village of Aswan and its couple of sites. They usually go there because it's the launching point for visits to Abu Simbel. And while they're there, they also happen to schedule a day or two to see Aswan's sites, like the Temple of Isis at Philae, the Nubian village. Uh, sorry, well, the Nubian village too, but uh, less so these days. It's gotten a little bit more run down, and I don't really recommend the Nubian village right now. Hopefully they will come back and fix that up, make it nice again. Last couple of times I've been in the Nubian village over the past two years, it has just become a mess. And I don't recommend wasting the 45-minute journey one way by boat to go down there just to see mess and a bunch of camel crap in the street and all this, how the colorful houses covered up with ugly little kiosks where they're trying to sell you crap. Uh, and then 45-minute boat journey back to Aswan. I just, yeah. What I was trying to say, though, is the Nubian Museum. The Nubian Museum is in Aswan, and that is very nice and uh, a modern museum and very worth seeing if you have some extra time in Aswan. But back to Abu Simbel. So almost everyone does Abu Simbel as a day trip as well. And since you have to be through the last government checkpoint on the way back to Aswan from Abu Simbel by 4 p.m. at the latest, most go to Abu Simbel pretty early in the morning, as in about 7 or 8 a.m.-ish at the latest, so that they can get back before that 4 p.m. cutoff at the checkpoint. In the hotter months, though, people go even earlier so that they can get down there and visit the two temples of Ramses II and Nefertari before it gets too hot later in the day. If you look at a map of Egypt and pull up Abu Simbel, 
you'll see just how far south this site is. It is literally almost down at the Sudanese border in the middle of nowhere, and it sits in one of the hottest inhabited places in all of Egypt. Hence the super early departure times during the summer especially to try to beat the heat. But it's obviously impressive enough that people endure the heat and the three-hour road journey each way to make it there. But at least you're riding in a nice modern air-conditioned vehicle and a private vehicle if you're going with us. So you have it way better than travelers did 100 years or so ago when they had to make that journey by much less comfy means if they wanted to see it. Consider yourselves lucky today. You can also, by the way, fly to Abu Simbel but it's really a personal cost-benefit analysis as to whether it's worth it for you to shell out the 400 bucks or so for just the 45-minute hop between Aswan and Abu Simbel and avoid the six hours on the road. Domestic flights in Egypt are not that bad in terms of cost, but for some reason the Abu Simbel flight is really expensive. Round trip, you should expect to pay about 400 bucks, and, you know, like I said, you can just do it in a three-hour journey each way. If you just want to suck up the road trip and save 400 bucks, that's totally up to you. I'd say most... 90% of our clients do Abu Simbel by road. They just do the three-hour road journey. Some of them elect to fly if they don't want to deal with the road journey. They don't like road trips. Uh, they don't like to get up quite as early. You can save about, an, you know, you can get an extra hour or so of sleep by flying. But that's really up to you. It's a personal decision there. It's kind of 50 of one. Or what do they say? Uh, six of one, half dozen of another. Okay, so those are the major things to know when you're thinking about travel around Egypt. There's obviously a lot more to cover, but I wanted to cover the major things here. Some of the things that I see people over and over again sort of not realizing, not factoring in, or, you know, we'll put together an itinerary for them that's moderately paced. It factors in the travel times, the distances, the transit, all of that. And they come, you know, I had somebody a couple of days ago actually come to me and say, well, do you think to compact the schedule a little bit and spend more time in Luxor instead of flying from Luxor back to Cairo to go to the airport to fly out? Maybe we can just drive back to Cairo from Luxor to the Cairo airport. And I'm just like, dude, look at a map. No, you can't drive. I mean, if you want to have a 12-hour airport journey, okay. But actually, you can't even legally transit through uh, that area of Egypt to drive as a foreigner to drive from Luxor back to Cairo. That's Middle Egypt. You cannot get a permit to drive through there as a foreigner. It's just not, I mean, even if you could, it's 12 hours. You're driving 12 hours. It's 500 miles or so, small villages, small roads. No, you can't take a car from Luxor to the Cairo airport to save time or money. That's why we put you on a flight. Anyway, I just wanted to, to do this episode to sort of cover some of these major, major things. But there are plenty of other minor things. Don't worry. If you're working with us, we'll take care of them. But the takeaways here are that a site or monument being located in the same general area as another, such as near Cairo, around Luxor, etc., doesn't necessarily mean it's close by. You may be driving an hour between sites, and when you factor in those distances, along with closing times, heat, rest, meals, etc., you need to be open to our suggestions for a moderately paced itinerary that gives you enough time to enjoy the sites, to get to the sites, but when you get there, to enjoy the sites and enjoy the journey along the way. Okay, like I said, I wanted to keep this episode short, so I will wrap it up here and we'll continue the insider advice on more topics related to travel to and around Egypt in later episodes. Ma salama everyone. 